Hello, we are Terra Nova, a horror podcast. We're hosted by Kendall and Jackie. And here we talk about everything well, horror. And this podcast is specifically for you, the horror fans, and also the non-horror fans. If you're too scared to watch the movies, it's fine. We talk about it, we discuss it, we dissect it, we laugh about it, talk about the good, the bad, the tropes, and new episodes are launched every Monday. And follow us on Facebook and Instagram at TerranovaPod. And leave a review, five stars, of course, on all platforms that you listen. And last but not least, tell a friend, tell a friend, tell a friend. And tell your dog, too. Cool dog. <laughs> hello. Hello. Hello, hello, testing one, two. <laughs> <laughs> That's literally what we sound like when we're testing our mics. No joke. No, just literally what we sound like. <laughs> yes, that and Jackie whispering to try to catch me off guard when I'm editing the episode. Yes, I forgot what episode was that again that I did that. You got so scared. I think it was like five episodes ago, so I forgot which one, but it was a few episodes ago. And I was like, what the fuck is that? It, it literally threw me off because I usually, for those who don't know, I usually edit every episode roughly around Saturday or Sunday. Take like an hour or so. I'm like, all right, let me sit down and bust this out. So I do it first thing in the morning, throw on my headphones and get to it. And I'm I'm editing the episode, and I was like, all right, everything sounds good. And I kept hearing some weird part in the beginning. It was like, it sounded like somebody was whispering, like a horror movie or some shit. Like the movie White Noise or something. And I was like, what the fuck is that? Like, I, I had nothing else on in my room. It wasn't, my, my TV wasn't on, nothing was on. I was like, what is that? And I finally, like, I think I randomly was looking at the audio, and I was like, oh, that was Jackie. What the fuck? <laughs> and then I had to hit her up. I was like, yo, you be whispering on the mic? <laughs> she was like, oh, I forgot about that. I'm like, no, you didn't. I know he legit thought his laptop was possessed, and I was like, maybe it is. Maybe it is now. Yeah, I was about to throw this whole shit off my balcony. I was like, fuck this. <laughs> I am not sorry. <laughs> anyway. As we can tell. <laughs> um, In case you guys have noticed, we've been doing a lot of great films, primarily Spanish films, because it's September. It is. It's, it's a multiple things happening in September. It's it's Suicide Prevention Month and it's also Hispanic Heritage Month. Yep. And we've already had like two good films so far, two good guests. But this time, it's just me and Kendall. Sorry, it's just <laughs> me and Kendall. Back to the original crew. There's someone's out there like, oh, yeah, like, oh, no guests. Um, what was that, three weeks? Yeah, we had three but, straight weeks of guests. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing guests. Um, and this time around, we're going to be doing a film that I've known about for a while, but I've never watched it. Like, I mean, I told Vanessa, because Vanessa's also a big horror fan, and I told her about it. She's like, oh, it looks kind of boring. But I was like, well, I want to watch. Maybe it's not boring to me. <laughs> it's a very fucking long movie, though. She didn't tell me that. <laughs> um, <laughs> I was like, well, this movie's going to fucking end. Um, but... We're talking about The Orphanage, 2007, uh, produced by Grimrel de Toro. And it's by director J.R. Bayona, I believe his name was. Uh, that so, sounds right. I'll take yeah. the report. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm, I'm actually excited because this is a movie I've been wanting to watch for a while. And again, we've been doing a lot of Spanish horror films because let's just, let's just, I mean, we said it before in previous episodes, foreign films are the best type of horror films because they really know how to freak you out. 
Yeah, and you just get you can really get hit with the unpredictability of it all because it's generally usually from the perspective of a culture you're probably not living in. So it's like a little bit of exotic in some ways. Like, oh man, I don't know how this would end. Based, I know how it would end based on my cultural beliefs and my where I live, but I don't know how this would end in like another country. So we get that luxury a lot of times with foreign films, and I love that personally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and this was no different. Um. Uh, but before we start talking about it, I'm going to go straight into the summary of the film. Whoop, whoop. So The Orphanage is about an orphanage. <laughs> uh, the film starts off with a flashback of one of the children. She's playing with her friends. This, this worker gets a call that this child, Laura, is going to be getting adopted. She has to say goodbye to her friends. It fast forward. She's now an adult. She's happily married. She has a son named Simon. Um, Simon. Um, her husband's name is Carlos, and they live in this very nice house that actually used to be the orphanage she grew up in. And throughout the film, it's kind of slow burner, but you kind of get a glimpse that something is kind of weird happening, primarily when it comes to Simon. Mm-hmm. Simon is a child who has a learning disability. You find out later on that he also has medication that he takes for hiv because he was born with hiv he's also adopted and laura has plans to turn her house into another orphanage for other children with disabilities and whatnot and when she starts thinking about you know changing the house around a lot of spooky shit starts happening (laughs) um primarily around the school it's double well, that used to be, you know, the orphanage. Um, Simon has like this invisible friends, and then, you know, they think nothing of it because you know kids, kids always have, in, you know, invisible friends. But then, you know, one day she takes him to this, you know, the beach area because they want to check out this, you know, abandoned lighthouse that doesn't work anymore, and they come across this cave. And then in this case, Simon ends up like going in and starts talking to something or someone that's there. And you don't see it, but you see that he's interacting with someone. And then he asks, hey, do you want to come back to my house? And if you watch horror as much as Kendall <laughs> and I have watched, you know, that's the biggest no-no Every ever. time. You don't invite something back with you. Yeah, especially if it's a child because children can see things and they don't know anything because they're not smart. <laughs> um, anyway, so <laughs> she is planning this big celebration, this party. I believe it's his birthday. She's inviting friends. And ever since the interaction with the cave, Simon starts changing. He starts getting more aggressive, starts getting more rude, starts getting more like loud with his mother. And he ends up talking about how he has a new invisible friend named Thomas and that how they want to play, they want to do this, they want to do that. And again, she thinks nothing of it. She just thinks he's just trying to seek attention, whatever. And before she knows it, he's gone missing. No one has no idea what happened to yep. Simon. No one knows where he's at. And they're all freaking out. They're like, oh my God, where is he? Where is he? Where is he? Um, six months have passed. They still can't find him. Um, actually, wait, before that, she ends up meeting this woman, this older woman who apparently is a social worker. And she's like, oh, you know, I'm here for Simon to talk about blah, blah. And that's kind of also like, led to him changing his behavior. This is before the party. Um, 
but yeah so six months have passed they're trying to figure out what happened to him where he where he went they suspect that maybe that older woman who claimed to be a social worker maybe kidnapped him and then as they're still trying to make sense of all of this she louder the mother ends up finding this old woman and then boom she gets hit by hits by an ambulance and instantly dies at the spot and when they start investigating this woman they realize that how she used to work at the orphanage laura was in and she had the woman also had a child that was deformed that no one knew about they kept hidden away and they only found out about it until unfortunately he had passed away through a innocent game of hide and seek the children played with him and of course her being horrified laura was like oh my god did she kill my child? She's still trying to figure things out. And then she ends up like hearing weird things. Things that moving around. Like apparitions. Ghost stuff was happening. And after that, she ends up calling a medium to come mm-hmm. in to investigate. Like maybe her house is haunted. Maybe this. And they find out. These mediums found out the hell there's, there's children locked away in in a particular part of the orphanage that you hear them screaming crying that how like someone's gonna kill them and carlos her husband is kind of just like you know what i'm done with this shit i can't do this we gotta leave we gotta do this i don't want to deal with this and laura's just like no i believe this is true i think simon's here someone took simon i need to find him and as she's still trying to figure things out you know she finds out that there are ties to the orphanage and her childhood you know some of the children were her friends that were apparently i think also had some type of disability so she yeah. knew about the woman as well Most kind of them of. Seem to, yeah. and mm-hmm. and uh when she finally decides she's gonna do whatever it takes to find simon you know she ends up playing she ends up pretty much fixing up the orphanage her house into the way the orphanage was to invite the spirits back she's playing a game of hide and seek with them to try to summon them which they do they can merge they play with her she's just like i need to find my son I need to find my son I need to find my son and they end up leading her into this hidden part of the house which was kind of like a secret place kind of like a it looks also like uh what you call that in funeral homes where they like burn the bodies i forgot what you oh call yeah that. the uh furnace yeah the furnace yep yeah she finds like a furnace and she finds like all these ashes these bones like residue of children she's like oh my god oh my god and then when she turns around she finds her son simon who apparently died in the basement and she re- she basically remembers the time when she heard like a loud bang the time of the party and apparently simon was playing hide and seek with with thomas and the kids and then end up dying the same day they never knew about it. they just thought he went missing so he was there dying basically like by himself in the basement which is really sad yeah. um her stricken regret with grief you know, she's just trying to, like, you know, get him back, trying to save him. Um, And then, you know, she says, you know, I want my son back. I just want him back. And then all of a sudden, this shiny light comes. It's a lighthouse. And then she sees the children that were dead um, emerge. And, you know, Simon comes back. And he was like, are you going to stay here? Like, like went, like, you know, went, like, Wendy did for Peter Pan, read yeah. stories. <laughs> and then she does that. And then it ends up leading to the fact that Laura also had died carlos is at the graveyard he's putting a flower down 
You know, he finds a little like amulet uh, necklace he gave her for protection. And then the doors open and he sees something. It's probably like the ghost of Laura. We don't know. It's open to interpretation because Gamero de Toro always does that shit. <laughs> always does that. He always ends it with like, it's for interpretation. And I'm just like, bro, just tell us what happened. But I it, get it. That's the It works style. sometimes. But, but yes, that is the summary. It's a lot. I know. Again, <laughs> the movie is fucking long. <laughs> it is a lot for sure. Uh, you want to get into first, first impressions now? Yes, because again, like, this is my first time watching it, and this is your first time watching it as yeah. well, right? I know you've heard of it before. You for me, me <laughs> yeah, because like I said, for me, I've heard of it for a while. I remember this back when I forgot what came out. Two thousand and seven was like a lot of films came out. A lot of films were coming out. A lot of foreign films, and Guillermo del Toro kind of already had like a name for himself at the time, like you know, Pan's Labyrinth and other films mm-hmm. he had, and this one in particular. You know, it had his name attached to it. And at the time, I thought he directed it. So I was like, oh, I kind of want to watch it. And I never saw it. You know, Vanessa was like, oh, scary. So I never really bothered with it. But then I was like, you know what? I really want to watch it. And I thought, hey, perfect opportunity. Let's do it for the yep. podcast. <laughs> you know? Um, and it was okay. It wasn't It wasn't really scary. Like, it actually wasn't yeah, scary. It's just more sad than anything. It's a very sad story. Um, super slow burn though. Oh my god! <laughs> and the reason why I'm saying that because not many films can pull off slow burn films and be successful. Some are always just like, oh my god, when are we gonna get to the point of this? What the fuck? And it took a while until we started getting answers of like why Simon was acting the way he was. Who was this woman? What was happening? What, what does louder attachment have to do with anything? And it was just like, ugh. <laughs> I don't know. Like again, like it was. It, I'm not. I'm not trying to show. Nah, I, you. I, I get what you <laughs> I'm mean. really not. Like it sounds like I am, but I'm not. It's just. It just wasn't there for me. I. It was okay. It was just decent. It's just a really sad story. It's. It's like a nice play, a dark, like a dark version of Peter Pan, because that's pretty much what it was. It was like the story of yeah, Peter Pan. Some people more dark and sad. It as like a dark fairy tale is a fair yeah and also gave me like haunting vibes as well similar to the haunting in a sense mm-hmm. um and yeah it was just a really sad movie about grief and loss a slight mystery but most of it was just grief and loss again this is gamriel de toro's mo this is what he fucking does he lives in this shit he's just like hey i'm gonna give you a movie but i'm gonna make you feel i'll make you sad make you think about it I'm just like, I didn't ask for that, man. I want to be scared. <laughs> like, I didn't want to ask for that, but that's his MO. Anyway, um, but yeah, what was your take of it? That is a really good explanation of this film. It is fucking, it's sad, not scary, uh, just tragic more than anything else. Um, yeah, my first impressions of it, I enjoyed the film overall. Like, I thought it was all right. My biggest complaint with the movie is its length. It's, in my opinion, it's too long. Um, yes. There are, there are a lot of things. And granted, I don't know, I, I didn't write the movie, so clearly I don't know the reasoning. But it's it's too long, in my opinion. Like, there was, like, and I'm all for slow burns. I think these days, honestly, a lot of the horror movies I enjoy the most are the ones that are slow burns. Um, stuff like, you know, The Dark and the Wicked, uh, Midsummer, Hereditary, St. Maud, 
Um, yeah, there are a lot of slow burn horrors these days, but this was, like, of course, way before that. This was 14 years prior. Um, but I, I, I love slow burn horror. I have no problem with them. But this one just feels a little, a little like, dull at some parts. Like, uh, mm-hmm. But I'm not going to say the movie's boring. It's not boring. It's just some parts seem to kind of be a little, little dull compared to other parts. Like, it's interesting uh because once again um this it's just kind of a movie where you it's, it's a ghost story so it definitely is a ghost story but you also kind of have to uh i would say abandon your interpretations of how ghosts should act in some ways to kind of understand this movie because mm-hmm. i feel like a lot of it is yeah. about interpretation a lot of this movie is an interpretation of like life and death and grief but i feel like it's even more so like as a piece of that just the life and death and like how it fits and how it works and a lot of the dialogue t- seems to be uh, related to that and talked about a lot. Like, you know, um, one of the biggest indicators they mentioned in the story that I thought was really interesting was about the kid, Simon. Is like the reason why he was able to see ghosts. Like, it wasn't just an imaginary friend thing like most kids who, you know, they, they say they have an imaginary friend, which that started. But he, he, he kind of dropped those characters once he, like these other kid, kid ghosts kind of came into it. Um they said the biggest indicator was like the reason why he could see these like ghost children for lack of better terms was because he was near death because of his, because of the virus he had, because he got HIV. And I was like, that perked my ears up a lot. I was like, Oh, that's really interesting. Like I've heard that before and I forgot what other movies, but I've, I've seen a few movies where people have said that kind of thing. And I was like, that's, that's pretty interesting. And now it, you know, that makes it a little more innocent like that. That may, and, and I didn't, I didn't know what I was getting into going to the movie. So I wasn't sure how the ghost would act. But that made the ghost, I would say, a little more mm-hmm. innocent than what you normally get in most ghost films where it's like, well, the ghosts are, you know, they flipping tables and <laughs> throwing people across the room and all that wild shit. Like these ghosts, can't, it seemed like. Or screaming or screaming like, get up. Yeah, like or some shit like that where they haunted the house or something like um, these ghosts don't really seem to do that. They seem they can be they, they seem capable of that, but they don't seem to really do that. Uh, these ghosts just seem to be like literally children who, who died. So they are still children. And now they're just playing around in the afterlife and interacting with whoever they can act, interact with. Um, so that was pretty interesting. Um, that, that that was kind of how the kid was introduced to these those characters. I thought that was really cool. Um, the way they kind of melded that in with the mother as she as it got near the end of the film, where they were kind of like, where the medium was kind of like, well, uh, seeing is believing, but but you have to believe to actually see. I thought that was really interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, like i mean it's true yeah yeah that that was dope and i I, like like i think message wise this movie has a lot of things i really like um it just is a little dull at some parts but message wise i really like things like that i really like the idea of how death wasn't really like a sad thing as the movie kind of went on like it kind of described death not necessarily as something that's like evil or even to be afraid of which i'm sure is a cultural thing um for over there so yeah there's a lot of things i like about the movie the length would just would bother me a bit but it, it definitely left me with some unique uh, perspective, some unique thoughts, some unique questions about different plot points, different things about the characters. There's, a, there's definitely a lot here to digest. And I, as I started doing research, and based on some of the research you gave me, and it's just some of the stuff that, uh, that I just did randomly just looking up and looking at just general reviews, I was like, damn, people really love this movie. Like, that was something I was kind of surprised by. <laughs> I was like, people really, really seem to like this movie. And there's like a lot of articles written from all different people from all walks of life talking about how I've watched this movie like eight times and it still freaks me out, but there are just so many things about it I can't turn away from. And I'm like, damn, what is it about this movie? So it definitely, it's a really good think piece. 
for sure. And it's uh, it's a pretty good movie overall. But yeah, it just drags a little bit. It runs a little long, but it's a pretty good movie overall. Yeah, I mean, I believe this was also like J.R. Bayana's first film. This was his first directorial debut as well. So, and the fact that you have Guillermo del Toro producing the film, it just shows that he probably liked the script and was just like, yeah, I'll, I'll produce it. I like it because again, Guillermo del Toro films—they're all about grief sadness and how humans are the true monsters while the monsters are the victims and for here this is definitely true because when they explain the appearance of the social worker um escapero benenga benenga i don't know i don't know how to <laughs> benenga yeah i was reading the subtitles and i was like benenga but <laughs> yeah, unless, unless the G is like a H, so Beniha. Yeah, maybe. Benihana? I don't know. <laughs> no offense. No offense. Sorry. <laughs> but um, anyway, when they had first introduced her and then she died, and, you know, the, the cops were just like, oh, we found out that, you know, she had a kid. They kept her away in the orphanage because he was deformed. Yeah. You know, he was this and that. And then the kids wanted to play. You know, a game where they took him to the cave and was like, hey, take off your sack. Let's see him. Let's see you. Yeah. And then when it was done, they were like, hey, come out the cave. We want to see you. But he was so like, he was already traumatized with the way the orphanage treated him. Where he was like a uh, an unwanted child. Yeah. yeah, like an outcast and unwanted child where I guess like he felt like, you're not going to be friends with me or want to be around me because I, I, my face. Yeah. It just shows because, again, largely due to the mother. movies always reflect society. Yeah. And then I feel like, again, horror movies always reflect the sense of society. And this is actually still true to this day mm-hmm. where people with disabilities or deformities are still treated like shit. They're still outcasts that they're still seen as, oh, get away from me or, oh, you're nasty or, oh, you're a monster. And it's just like, bro, chill. I'm just born this way. The fuck was wrong with yeah. you? And it's so sad. And the fact that she was so grief stricken with the fact that that happened, she killed the children that played that game with them and poisoned yeah. them and trapped them and basically burned their bodies. And they're the ones that were trapped in the orphanage. And they never knew about it because she wasn't there long. She left. She escaped. And I guess she was just trying to, like, I guess, protect simon which is why she emerged or something and then that's how he met thomas or i forgot i forgot oh, what it the was the assumption is basically that because they don't fully make it clear but they kind of hint at it the assumption is that the reason why she resurfaces at the house all of these years later with lauren and simon them now is because she knows the bodies are in the furnace like she knows because remember mm. uh, laura later finds the bags of all the bodies that of all the children yeah so the assumption is that she came back there to get all the bodies which is why when laura catches her earlier in the film like inside of like their like little uh i guess we call it a little farmhouse and she's holding a shovel i was like oh shit is this old lady about to beat up laura but the old lady just ran and but she had a shovel and you're kind of like well why did she have a shovel it's like well you find uh, the kids later she probably came back to bury the body so nobody would find it yeah and it's funny when yeah when laura had the shovel her husband was just like are you gonna beat the old woman and she was like <laughs> no I don't know where the fuck you went <laughs> she probably was because like this lady popped up at her house First, she popped up to meet her, and then she's telling you all of this stuff about your kid that you already knew, but you're like, why does she know it? Uh, but then she pops up again mm-hmm. in your fucking farmhouse at night, just like random. Like, you ain't invite her. <laughs> she's just on your property. Yes, I would have beat that old lady ass with a stick, too. 
I'd be like, where you came from? I'm here with my child. You try, what, you, what you trying to do? Uh-uh. For real. And it was interesting, too, like how it was all connected with Laura. Like all the friends that she had poisoned, the kids that she poisoned and killed were people that she knew. Yeah. Laura knew them. She knew those children. She was friends with them. And she was like, yeah, this is Anita. This is this, this is that. She was blind. She was this. He was this. He was that. They were my friends. The people I knew from the orphanage. And even the cops looked at her like, wait, you were there? You knew yeah. this? Like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, they were just so shocked about yeah. it. And see, that's, that's the thing that's interesting to me about this movie. Because, like, I feel like when you look at these events, you go, you, you could kind of have more questions, right? Because if you look at all of the kids that Laura was friends with, they all seem to have a disability of some sort. Uh, which, mm-hmm. one, made me question if Laura had one. But there doesn't seem to be any indication or mention of it, whether or not she had a disability at, one point, at any point. And they also, of course, show you at the beginning that Laura was the one who was adopted, and it seems like all of the other kids uh, probably were there for a long time and died before they were adopted or just never were adopted, which probably what I would assume was in part due to the fact that they had a disability because, as you mentioned earlier, people treat people with disabilities like shit to this day. So I wouldn't be surprised if those mm-hmm. children were never adopted purely because they had disabilities. And Laura was the only one out of all of them that was ever adopted because she maybe either had none or she probably just didn't have one that was noticeable. Yeah, I mean, even when she met the medium and she took her wrist and you saw like she had like a little mark on her wrist and she was just, she been told the same thing she said about Simon. It was like, you know, we're closer to death, we can see this. And she was like, you can probably see them too because we, we ventured there before. But I feel like maybe at one point, Laura was also kind of like trying to end her life at one point because she had a mark on her wrist, you know, along with the medium who had like all those, you know, fucking marks on her. That's um, a good point. And it's just, yeah, and it's just like, it's just wild. And again, like, I like how the film kind of foreshadowed everything. Because before Simon, I guess, because for me, I took it as Simon was possessed by Thomas. That's what I took it as after the whole thing with the cave. Because he was acting more brash. He was getting more loud in her face. And, you know, he was just like, you know, I'm not your kid. I know. And she's like, who told you? Like, Thomas told me I'm adopted. You know, my mom, I don't blah, blah, like. He was saying very nasty things to her. And for prior to that, you know, she meant he mentioned, you know, how like he's never going to age. He wants to be like Peter Pan. And yeah. then out of random, he asked that weird question. It was just like, like how old are you? It's like, I'm 36. Like, how old are you when you're going to die? And she's like, excuse you? Like, what? <laughs> And she was just like, he was just like, I'm never going to die. I'm never going to eat because I'm Peter Pan. I want to be just like the Lost Boys. And I like how they foreshadowed that because that's essentially what he wanted. In a sense, that's kind of what the kids were. The kids were like the Lost Boys. They never aged because they died young. Yeah. And then you have Wendy. You know, Wendy was a grown-ass, like not grown-ass girl, but she was adult. She was a little Hold older. Up. Did they mean Lost Boys like the movie? No, no, Lost was like Peter Pan. Oh, okay, cool. I, I was thinking about the vampire movie for a second. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, a lot of, a lot of these films kind of stem off a bit of fairy tale. Yeah, for sure, for sure. You know, but but this one was definitely straight out of Peter Pan. Like, you know, the children are kind of the significance of Lost Boys because they died young. They never uh, ate. That makes sense. And, you know, in Peter Pan, you know, Wendy was a bit, you know, older than the other children. You know, she loved reading stories. Peter Pan wanted to keep her, but she was like, no, I have to grow up, Peter. <laughs> and then she does return. You know, he sees her again, and she's a full adult. She's a grown woman. She has her own kids. And it's kind of similar like that in the ending. Um, 
you know when she finds simon he's dead she's like oh my god first of all the crying that she did when she found simon dead was just so like heartbreaking yeah it was very sad like it was so hard to watch that like you really felt that shit um and we've seen that before also like in pet cemetery and of course you know ari aster's care crazy ass <laughs> um and you know after that you know she goes into like where the room was she's like asking that she wants her son back please bring her son back she sees his lighthouse and then you know she sees the kids and simon's just like you know are you gonna stay here forever you know take care of us and the other children and the blind girl touches her face and like it's louder it's louder she came back she came back to read the stories and yeah that was really sweet it's so sad because i feel like maybe I feel like maybe that's what she did too when she was still a child. Maybe that's why they liked her a lot. Maybe she sympathized with them. Because remember, she wanted to turn her house into an orphanage for disabilities. Yeah. Because she sympathized more for them. She cares about them more. Um, And it was just like, yeah. I mean, in the reading, because I think people... When I was doing the research for this film, there were so many like Google searches of like, what does the ending mean of the orphanage? Mm-hmm. Why was Simon smiling? What does it mean? Is Laura dead? What? Um, I didn't read them, but then seeing the way it ended, and I did really kind of an article explaining the movie and how you know it's fairy tale mm-hmm. and stuff. That how Laura ends up killing herself. Yeah, she's dead because she's you know she can't cope with the fact that her yeah son she took died. all the pills. Um, yeah, taking he pills overdosed. to get closer to them throughout the movie as well. Mm-hmm. And she overdosed on pills. And therefore, she stayed with them for all eternity. And, you know, Simon, I think Simon smiled. I mean, Simon. Um, Carlos smiling at the end, I feel it's because maybe when he touched the the necklace that she had taken off before she died, it was like a protection pendant. I guess in a way, we don't see it, but off camera, he probably saw her in ghost form. It was just like, oh shit, like it's my wife. Yeah, he, it's yeah, my definitely. wife. He probably either saw her. Or just the doors opening to him was probably an indicator that she's around. Because throughout the entire film, everything that's supernatural is happening is happening purely to Laura. And nothing happens to Carlos. Like, nothing even happens when he's around. The closest it got to anything happening when he was around was when she felt somebody get in the bed and she thought it was him. And then she ended up talking to, like, the mm-hmm. spirit about how, like, she misses Simon and how she hasn't been able to sleep in, like, six months since he's been gone. I think it was almost, I think it was nine months at that point, actually, when that scene happened. Um... She was talking about how she hasn't mm-hmm. slept in a while. She doesn't know what it's like to even sleep through the night anymore. And she just misses him and she misses them being together. And she was talking about when they first got Simon and from adoption and how cute he was and all that stuff. And then uh, she sees the light under the door and she's like, oh, my God, Carlos, somebody's in the house. And then the door opens and it's Carlos. She's like, what the fuck was next to me? And he's, he's like, what are you talking about? She's like, somebody was laying in the bed. Uh, she's like, yeah, I got up for a second. He's like, no, no, somebody was just in this bed and then like they're not here anymore. And he just thought she was freaking out the whole time due to grief and everything. But all the supernatural stuff was happening to her. Nothing happened to him until that very point then. Yeah. And even then, like, he was just getting really irritated with the whole shit. He was just like, yo, like, you're going crazy. We need to leave this house. Fuck this house. Fuck your plan. Let's just get out. Let's just get out. Because because he really was just like, I don't believe these mediums. I don't believe they're actually helping you. They're making it worse. Simon is dead everyone's dead you're not seeing ghosts like you're you're sad you're depressed let's just get the fuck out of here she's like no i think he was making a fair and point though i feel like he, like he he's just yeah. looking out for her her grief like i feel like normally you you get a character like his 
and it's like that it has no relationship to the supernatural stuff at all and you kind of go well this guy's an asshole but carlos by no means was like coming off as an asshole he just was more so trying to be protective of his wife's feelings like yo we've lost our son we're trying to find a way to like you know deal with this day to day like moving forward but then also trying to be like trying to find simon so he was never really a dick about how she was experiencing stuff he was just like i'm not seeing any things you're seeing i'm not even sure if you actually seen the things you're seeing however i want he was like he even said that he was like i know there are couples who lose their child and they can find a way to move forward so like i'm we can find a way to move forward uh like he, he wasn't really surprisingly he wasn't an asshole <laughs> yeah but i feel like yeah i mean you're right but it's always there's always that one person too that doesn't like I me mean, even in poltergeist the original like the husband was at first kind of just like what the fuck <laughs> having like a good medium come to the house and be like she's here i can feel her he's just like yeah whatever he's just seeing proof and then he's just like okay this place is haunted holy shit and i feel like that's kind of a trope it totally is i feel like it's a big trope and yeah like in every haunted house movie that involves a family the father is always the main one that's not a believer never believes it until shit happens and then he's just like oh my god and then sometimes you have that dick person who still doesn't believe it, even though he sees shit and still says, yeah, she was crazy. Yeah, for sure. That was on her head. She was wild. But, you know, for this, it, it, again, like, yeah, you're right. I mean, at the time when he was telling her, like, all this stuff kind of did come off a little bit dickish, but I understood it. But at the same time, it did felt like, bro, like, she's just trying to get closure in any way she can. Even though it sounds crazy, just be fucking supportive. That is it. That's all we gotta do. Shut your mouth and just be like, okay, yeah, let's do this. Yeah, true. <laughs> you know, it's not that not hard. for sure. And I think um, he was on some level, but uh, on another level, you know, he had, he definitely had to ba- balance that fine line of like protecting his wife's like grief and make sure that people aren't just taking advantage of him. Because even when they called the media and, yeah. uh, you know, they, they, they mentioned, well, one, honestly, historically, not mediums who are people who are actually mediums, but, you know, grifters who pretend to be mediums definitely take advantage of people who to this day honestly take advantage of people who've like lost people mm-hmm. they'll be like oh yeah come here you want to talk to your dear cousin or your son that died just come here pay me 500 dollars. you can talk to him for five minutes like people historically have been kind of doing that so that i can understand and he was protective of that it's, and he and his way of dealing with that was to call the police psychologist there to be there for it to make sure like you know if, any, if anything if they are conning them then well you technically have the police involved which is fair it's, it's as a viewer, it's kind of a nuisance because you're like, oh, this motherfucker gonna call the one lady who don't need to be here. However, it didn't. None of these, in all of these scenarios, which we're kind of familiar with seeing, none of them play out in a way that we're used to seeing. So, like, they all experienced the medium going through all of this shit firsthand as well, and they're kind of like, yeah, I don't know what the fuck that was. Um, I'm not gonna say I believe, but I don't really know what the fuck that was. Um, I'm just saying that they possibly taking advantage of you. And she's like, how are they taking advantage of you? She's like, well, they're gonna want money. And she's like, they don't want any money right now. And they haven't mentioned money. So it's like they basically just chopped off all of the reasoning that you as a viewer would go, oh, this shit is probably set up or this shit is leading into something that we're familiar with already. They kind of cut all of that off. So I would say the film did a good job at killing mm-hmm. those kind of tropes to kind of make you keep dwelling into the fairy tale yeah. of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I-, I love before he mentioned the, the, the psychologist, the medium was just like, cops, I love cops. Yeah, bring them in. Cool. <laughs> that shit had me dying. I was just like, oh my god. Yeah, word. I was just like, what? That shit cracked me up. The medium was great, though. She was but, great. Yeah. That scene was really good. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, there were some scenes that were a bit kind of eerie. I'm not, especially the scene when she hears the voices of the children. That shit was kind of fucking eerie. Like, that was very eerie. Uh, the one where they were pleading like, for help? the children cry. Yeah. yeah, like, that's really creepy. I mean, any movie that has to do with, like, children or, or ghost children, it's always scary and sad. And, again, that reminds me of, of The Haunting from the 90s. Mm-hmm. You know, um, it was it was the... It was the first adaption film before... The original. The original came out in the 60s and this was the first like remake before we had the Netflix yeah. show. Um, and that also involved the ghosts of children. You know, they weren't deformed, but they were just children because the husband was just like, you're having too many kids, let's just get rid of them. And she's like, no! Oh, damn. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was really dark. And for this one, it was it's still kind of sad because it was just like, no one's going to want these children. At first, you think that maybe that's why they were killed because they were deformed. And then you later find out that no, it was, it was like her way of getting revenge, them killing her son, which again, they didn't know that was going to happen. You know, they were just playing an innocent game because again, children aren't all malicious. Some are born psychopaths. We have seen that, <laughs> yeah, that before. But, but not all are. You know, they just wanted to see what his face was. And. You know, it was getting dark. I mean, yes, the kids could have said something of like, hey, you know, Thomas is up there. Go get him. Go get him. But they didn't. They just carried on as if nothing happened. So, yeah, that was kind of fucked up. Um, But did the children have to die for that? No. But again, you understand it in a sense of like, you know, she lost her kid. Yeah, she exactly. didn't want that to happen, let alone that. And let alone like he wasn't even allowed to like play with the other kids. Yeah. You know, because he was deformed, they kept him ice. They kept all the kids like in a separate room, away from the normal, quote unquote, normal children. And that alone is just fucked up and abusive. Like, it's wrong. That's very monstrous of them. And again, this is like, this is Grandmother Toro's mo. She likes to show that humanity, us as humans, we are the true monsters. We are the true like vile evil people even though we don't think we are but we are while those who we deem as monsters outcasts or weirdos are actually the victims of society we live in and that reflects to to this to this day and it still does and yeah he he got that from um george r, r. merrill that's where he got it oh, from. really because he was good at that yeah because that's basically what you know the films were and you know, Grandmother Toro has always said he always loved the fascination of monsters. And he was just like, you know, monsters aren't all evil. There's a reason why they're like this. There's a reason why, you know, <clears throat> the the Frankenstein monsters the way he is. There's a reason why for everything. And again, for this, there was a reason why the children were doing that whole shit with Thomas and the woman. And it's just like, it's just really good. I mean, yes, it's a slow burn movie. It's long as hell but i feel like in a way it is greatly written yeah, it's unique it is a good story yeah like it's not like again it's not a boring film it just feels really long <laughs> but it's not and it's just like you're getting a ghost story and, and and a story about loss you know people's interpretation of how they handle loss what are they gonna do with loss and you know, again, we haven't seen that since, you know, Pet Cemetery did that. You know, Stephen King. I would say not as well. Um, I would say mm-hmm. Pet Cemetery did not do it as good as this movie. <laughs> yes. 
Yes. And then, of course, you know, Arias was crazy. Ass. Yeah, hereditary and all that. But, yeah, no, I agree with the yeah. point about the monsters because, uh, and I'm, <clears throat> I think, I would say at least American society, I can't speak for the rest of the world, but I feel like American society, American horror movies are catching up or at least starting to explore that more of, like, why monsters, monsters. Uh, and it probably is mm-hmm. due to Del Toro, for sure. It's probably probably mostly on him because he does it so much. Um, because, you know, we when we watch the horror film, when we watch the foreign horror films, they tend to get into that. And, you know, you know, we mentioned it when we did The Ring, when we did Ringle, uh, when we did Juwan. Uh, we mentioned it in pretty much, mo- pretty much every horror movie you can think of where it was like a monster of some sort, why they are the way they are. And we, you know, we've even joked at times about like, yo, man, the, mo- the monster was right. Like the monster was mad for good reason. Uh, you could even say that with Friday the 13th mm-hmm. in some ways. It's like those fucking camp counselors led to the kid dying and then now the kid's just back as a grown person killing everybody. That's kind of justified in some ways. Um, mm-hmm. And this film kind of does that too. And, it, and it, I think the thing about this film that makes it really interesting and unique the way it does it is that pretty much everyone who should be a monster isn't really a monster in this movie like it doesn't make it very black and mm-hmm. white which I, i'm always a fan of writing that's in the gray because uh when you write stuff morally it's black and white it's just like it's not super interesting um but for them to write this it's obvious. yeah it's super obvious. Too obvious like well they're the villain okay cool they're the good guys okay here's who i root for um but this movie kind of took that away from you because for everyone who should be a mm-hmm. monster they have a good reasoning for being quote-unquote the monster like, the children led to Thomas getting killed. Of course, the children didn't mean it because they're kids. And the movie gives us no reason to believe that these kids are serial killers. They're just like, they're kids. And even they say the, at the time, the police excused it because they were like, they're kids. It was not intentional. They did not mean to kill the kid. They did not think things were going to happen like that. And you're like, okay, I understand that. Fair enough. A kid is dead, but I understand that. Fair enough. Uh, the mother's reaction to ki- poison all of the children to kill them you kind of go, she's a fucking monster, which she kind she is still on some level because she's an adult with way more understanding of what she's doing. But even then, you're kind of like, well, they did lead to her child dying. So I kind of understand why she did it. Um, so it's like, it just puts you in a morally gray area. And then even with Laura, mm-hmm. you're like, well, Laura didn't do anything necessarily wrong in the course of all of this stuff. Like even, the con- I know she, she, uh, reflects on a conversation she had with simon before he disappears where he was like oh i want to take you to thomas's secret house and she's like not right now we're literally in the middle of a party you could just come downstairs meet the other kid and then simon was like no i don't want to do that let's go to his secret house right now and she's like no i'm not gonna do that and you know she had to slap him because he was just being so rude and mean um and then you know she regretted that and reflected on that conversation a lot but you're like well you didn't you didn't really lead to the boy disappearing like you're not the reason but I understand the grief because you're responsible for him. Uh, and for her to even kill herself at the end, you're like, normally, I will say this, normally in film horror films, or even most films, when someone commits suicide, you kind of go, well, fuck, that was the worst possible outcome. That sucks. But since this movie seems to be more of a fairy tale and more of a uh, examination of life and death and grief, her killing herself to be with the children is almost a happy ending, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's interesting from uh, from a yeah. film standpoint and from even in some ways a religious standpoint because you know people always say people commit suicide go to hell so it's just really interesting that it kind of ends up being a happy ending yeah and he did that too well he didn't do that with Hans Labyrinth she died but she was like she was basically like in peace after death like yeah. he was in a good place now and 
he does that a lot. And again, this is Guillermo Toro's M.O. This is what he's good at. And this is why he's always deemed as one of the best producers, writers, and directors because of that. And it's great that he gave this upcoming director. Again, this is his first film. You know, Jay, Jay, uh, what was it again? J.A. Bayona. Like, this is his first director debut. And again, it's not a boring film. I know it's not like I was shitty on it. I wasn't. It's just a long-ass <laughs> movie. But... Yeah, it really does make you, as the viewer, think like, so, as an, again, as American audience, I'm sure they're like, so who are we rooting for? Yeah. Who's the monster? Who's, who's this? But like, in story-wise, yeah, because again, like, you're basically getting, a, like, you're getting a story, yeah, like you said, of grief. That's literally what this movie is. It's just about grief. The aftermath of it, the consequences of it, you know, that's basically what this film is. You know, they always say like one action leads to like a whole bunch of other mm -hmm. actions. Sometimes they're good, sometimes they're not good. You know, the reaction aspect of it. And, you know, again, when you're with Pet Cemetery, you know, the guy was Griffin was, was strict with so much grief. The guy was just like, I should have never showed you that that burial ground. But he was so desperate to get his child back. He risked reanimating a demon child because he wanted his child back you know yeah. um and for this you know it's not the same thing it's, it's a little bit more softer yes it's still traumatic because again children are dead you know um i would just say it's, it's better they did it it's a better yeah it, it's more yeah like it's not so dark it's not this but it is it's oh, and pet cemetery you know, it has the whole jaded aspect of the burial grounds and all that stuff. So it's like the the reanimation or revival of the characters in that case. It's like it's almost like they're being revived in an evil state because of their ancestors prior and what they've done to the land. So it's like a very different complexity mm -hmm. to it. It's almost like you're being punished for reanimating somebody, which makes sense. And at least in this mm -hmm. case, it's more of like dealing with actual grief because no one's revived. Like, and it kind of feels plausible in a lot of ways because they're like, well, the closer you get to death, the more you just see different things. So it, it actually feels plausible, mm -hmm. which is really interesting. Yeah, she got, to re re um, she got to be reunited with her son and her friends. Like, it was really nice when they were like, oh, it's Laudo. She came back. She came back to us. Like, that was really sad, but also really nice. Yeah. Like, it was both. It was like a bittersweet type of ending. You know, like, you weren't mad. I wasn't mad about it. It was just very, like, wow, that was actually really good. Yeah, I didn't um, expect that at all. But it was it was good. Like, I'm glad we watched it. Um, I don't know if you read one of the articles that how they were thinking of remaking this for American audiences. I'm happy it never happened. <laughs> well, that ending would not be that ending. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> oh, yeah. Because um, the person that was going to do it, his name was Larry... Benson, Benson, then I think Benson, Benson Lone or something like that. And what's funny is that Guillermo Toro picked him personally to remake the film. And what he was gonna change were really slight changes. Like it wasn't gonna be six months since Simon's was missing. It was gonna be six days since he was missing. Um, and. You know, little things he was going to alter, but I'm glad it never happened. I mean, it was greenlit. Liongate still has the rights yeah. to it. So I guess if someone were to do it, they can, but I hope it never does because, yeah, like it, it, it wouldn't be the same. 
Would it be different where it won't be a slow burner? Yeah, probably. It's not so bad. Yeah, but I feel like story-wise, the concept-wise, the whole thing with the whole Peter Pan thing, they might make it more darker and more more actually scary than what the story really is. Because again, it's not a scary movie. It's just a movie about yeah. grief and loss and the aftermath of that. And I feel like the narrative would change a lot if it was remade for American audiences because we've seen these movies before for American audiences. Haunted orphanages, haunted houses, haunted asylums. They're all the same. Yeah. You know, it's just a malicious spirit being like, get out of my life or get out. <laughs> yeah. Like, man. we've seen that. We're tired of it. You know, this this is a bit more refreshing. Yeah, very refreshing. And uh, that's a drastic, that would be a drastic change to take it from six months to six days. Because six months told me immediately, this kid has to be dead. Like, that was really when I was like, unless there is a somebody out here kidnapping children, this kid has to be dead. Uh, because six months is a long time shit for an adult to go missing, let alone let alone anybody else but for an adult to go missing anybody to go missing for six months and this kid needs daily medication to like to even just like function properly this kid needs daily medication and it's six months that is impossibly long for anyone to go vision so honestly for a moment actually when she found him at the end i thought he was alive and i was like how the fuck like i I, I literally paused my tv and said that i was like how the fuck this kid live for six months in the basement with no food like oh no it was nine months at that point i was like nine months this kid had no food no nothing he was just alive in his basement that's fucking amazing uh but then of course you know you get the sad reveal that he's actually dead and she can only see him because she's closer to death and i was like oh okay cool that makes sense because i was like how the hell (laughs) you'd have to study that kid for science if he survived that long without anything food water nothing yeah yeah and it would be death because i mean in that six months he was missing, you know, we see her trying to do everything, trying to find out. She saw that woman trying to figure out the ties with that woman, the orphanage, and then, you know, seeking the medium. That would be too fast to get that done in six days. Yeah, word. Like, six days. Now she's going to see a medium. and Like, what? Like, it wouldn't make six sense. Days. It just would have changed the whole thing. It wouldn't be the same. Like, even if he tweaked it, it's just like, nah. I mean, I get it. Guillermo Toro picked him out specifically because he liked what he did with other films, but it's just like, nah, th- this isn't it, bro. Yeah, <laughs> that 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 sounds it. like that's their way of making yeah. the movie so the kid lives. Yeah, or something for like you know the American audiences to enjoy. I'm sure someone was just like, I didn't like this film. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we not ending on a suicide. We're know, just, just not thinking. doing that in an American <laughs> film. We not ended on a suicide. That like I'm sure there are American movies that do, but those are few and far in between. We not ended on a suicide as if that was a happy ending. That that movie probably be called Satanic. Like that wouldn't happen. <laughs> For real. Um, but yeah, yeah, this was a really good film, and I'm glad I watched it. Very slow burn for anybody who wants to watch it. I'm just warning you. <laughs> if you're not into slow burn movies, it takes a really long time <clears throat> until stuff happens. It really does. So, yeah, it's definitely a lot of watching yeah. these people just exist in their grief. <laughs> yeah, but story-wise, it's, it's a really good film. Like, story-wise and, you know, the acting and everything. And it's just, it's just really well. And it's funny because I, I didn't know that was Lauda until Carlos called her Lauda. And I was like, holy shit, that's Lauda. Because we never got her name. As an adult, you just thought it was a whole new person. You didn't think that was Lauda the whole entire movie. Because her name was never spoken. You realize that, right? Was it? 
I think yeah, her husband. Call, not no, her one. husband calls her by his name. Her name a few, not many times, but a few times. Mm-mm. Only until like stuff was happening. Then he called her by Lauda. But before that, never once that we always heard his name. True, but he. But never heard. But even name. at the beginning, though, the kid. It's it's clear. It's kind of clear who she is because the kid when she's talking to Simon at the very beginning of the movie. Remember, he can't sleep. So she goes in to talk to him, and he starts talking about her experience when she was an orphan, like when she lived there as a child. And he was like, "Oh, that's really cool." And then he talked about the lighthouse and stuff, and then she kind of shined her um her metal box against the window to make it look like oh, the, the the lighthouse was lighting because he was from he told he was familiar with all of the things that she told him about living there. So yeah, I know, like they kind of make it clear at I the beginning, I but that. I don't remember. Yeah, I don't remember to mention her name a lot, but they did make it kind of clear that she grew up there. You weren't sh- probably not sure who. I guess I forgot yeah. again. Slow burn movie. So much information to take in. I don't remember. Yeah, there was everything. a lot. <laughs> so there was a lot. Very informative. <laughs> um, but yeah, really good film. And again, you know, happy Hispanic Heritage Month for those who are listening. Um, and yeah, we finally did a murder horror movie. <laughs> We've been saying True. we're going to do one for a while. Word. He didn't direct it per se, but he produced it. So close enough, because <laughs> he has so many films all under his belt. Yeah, I'm gonna have to run through a few of them because I don't think I've seen a lot of them. I know he has so many. <sighs> Man's always busy, <laughs> and he's very funny on Instagram. I follow him. I follow him on Twitter. He's a really funny oh, really? Cool guy. Oh man, I'm gonna, have, I'm gonna have to follow him. Man. That might be worth it. <laughs> he makes good movies. Um, but with that, we will say be safe, have fun, and ooh you, go goodbye.